The Lifestylist, episode 126, featuring Tim Lawrence. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. All right, we've got a couple quick announcements before we jump into the episode. First off, I want to invite you to join me next Tuesday for our show with Marcus Antebi, founder of the Juice Press in New York City. This dude is the juice king of New York. We're going to talk about the juice revolution and plant-based diets. To ensure that you don't miss that show or any show to follow, just click subscribe on your app and you'll be subscribed to the podcast and you will never miss one. Even if you don't listen to it on that day, you'll know it's there because it will be in the app. Okay, next let's talk about some upcoming speaking appearances. I love to get out into the world and meet all of you people in person. It gets lonely behind this mic, so come hang out with me. At any point, if you want to find out where I'm going to be speaking or participating out in public, you can find that out at lukestory.com forward slash events. It's right there on the site. You will have a chronological list of everything that I'm up to as well as links to get tickets or passes, okay? First thing I'm doing is March 9th in Marina Del Rey. I'm speaking at the most interesting man in the world, Intensive with Neil Strauss. Next on March 24th, I'll be appearing again at Whitma Live. I did this event last year in New York City and it was lit. This one's held in Hollywood at Noya House and I'll be moderating a panel with some other genius people on meditation and mindfulness. Then April 6th through 8th, I will be the official podcaster of the Longevity Now Conference in Anaheim, California. What does that mean? That means I'm going to be there for an entire three-day weekend live streaming and podcasting on the fly. That is a weekend, my friends. You want to follow me on social media and join the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group because you'll be able to see all of the interviews I do with people there live. Then on April 24th, I'm speaking at Soho House, a little beach house in Malibu, one of my favorite places in California. It's an awesome venue. I've done a lot of talks there. This one will be on, get ready for it, orgasmic meditation, sensuality, and biohacking sex. Yeah. Hey, these people call me, you guys, and they say, hey, can you talk about this? I go, sure, I'll do it. So we'll have to figure it out. It's going to be fun, though. Then lastly, I've got April 26th at Bulletproof Labs in Santa Monica, California, where I'll be doing a Meet the Hacker Night. So as you can see, there's a ton going on, but I'd like to focus on one of those events because I'm having a sweet giveaway. So for the past eight years, I've gone to the Longevity Now conference with David Wolf in Orange County, California. And as I said, this year, I'm going to be the official podcaster of the event. So I'll be live streaming and doing all this recording the whole weekend. Check it out. They've given me three sets of tickets that I can give away to the audience. So if you want to win a pair of Longevity Now tickets, that's April 6th through April 8th in Anaheim, California. You can come see David Wolf, Daniel Lepore, Nadine Artemis, Dr. William Davis, John Gray, Jim Quick, all these amazing speakers, many of whom have appeared on this very show, then I can hook you up. So here's what's up. If you want to win a pair of tickets to the Longevity Now conference in April, super simple, just do this. Text the word Longevity Now 
one word, longevity now to the number 44222 on a US phone. So to win tickets, text the word longevity now to the number 44222. If you're not on a US phone and you want to do it online, super easy. Go to bit.ly forward slash longevity Luke. So that is bit.ly forward slash longevity Luke. Winners will be announced on April 27th a week before the event. Now, if you just want to purchase tickets outright, they're 297 bucks in advance, and then they go up to 497. If you want to get tickets to Longevity Now, just go to lukestory.com forward slash events, and I've got the links there. So hopefully you win. Do that little text trick. Enter yourself. All you do is enter your name and email. And if you win, we're going to be hanging out for real. So it's going to be a great weekend. Can't wait to see you. Today's show is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. Now, you guys know I'm always talking about their medicinal mushroom elixirs because I take them all the time. I'm super addicted to them. But now they've got a couple other products that I'm really into. They've got a decaf coffee for when I don't feel like freaking out on caffeine. And then they have a regular coffee, but not just coffee. Both of them are infused with medicinal mushrooms. So it's a mushroom coffee. They're fantastic. They've also got some matcha drinks like the matcha with lion's mane. And the thing that's cool about the Four Sigmatic drinks is they're totally organic. They're super powerful herbs and superfoods and mushrooms, but they're really easy to use. That's the issue I've had, like trying to be healthy and making myself some cool drinks is that it's kind of a pain in the ass and I have to open up all these different containers and it's a big project. Their products come in these little packets. You just pop them open. They're very portable. I take them on the plane. I take them on trips. I keep them in my bag, in my car. I kind of have them all over the house and I can just use them whenever I want. So Four Sigmatic, one of my favorite companies. If you want to check them out, I highly recommend that you do. To do that, you go to foursigmatic.com. And like all of my sponsors, they offer a sweet discount to the listeners. If you use the code LUKESTORY, you will save 15% off your order, which is a pretty good deal. So go to foursigmatic.com Enter the code LUKESTORY and save 15%. Check it out. I'd like to take a minute to tell you about a company that's very cool that I recently discovered called Health IQ. They're a life insurance company that helps you save money on your life insurance policy based on your health IQ. So based on your lifestyle, diet, and all of that. So imagine if you saved money on your car insurance because you're a good driver, right, as you should. Well, Health IQ saves you money in your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. It's really dope. So to check it out and to see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com forward slash lifestylist. You can save yourself a substantial amount of money. In fact, 56% of Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on their life insurance policies. Really cool stuff. I want to support these guys. They are innovators. They're doing something very cool for the community. So go to healthiq.com forward slash lifestylist to see if you qualify. Shine on, shine on, you crazy diamonds. What's up? It's Luke Story from a little website called lukestory.com here to deliver personally to you by hand with white glove service another episode of the lifestylist podcast and let me tell you what this one will not disappoint it's all about the hoffman process which is an experience that i went through last year i talked a lot about it and i've had a lot of people write into the show saying hey i want to hear more about that so i tracked down tim lawrence who is an author group facilitator therapist and director of hoffman international and tim was there with me the whole week that i was in this process 
So what the Hoffman process is, is a residential workshop that helps people achieve balance between mind, body, and spirit and overcome the limitations of our personality. So it combines the most effective methods of Western psychology with the more spiritual Eastern traditions of contemplation. So it was really something that resonated with me. And Tim's book, The Hoffman Process, is available in seven language. And uh, The Hoffman Process, which is the seven-day retreat, is available in 15 countries. So this stuff is worldwide. And it is a game changer. So Tim, our guest, continues to travel and is currently on an extended two-year journey. So he stopped through L.A. and I was lucky enough to sit down and have a chat with him. And uh, I'm just really excited to share this with you because it was a profoundly transformative experience. And when I find something like that, I love to share it with you. So here's what we cover in this episode. How Tim first got involved in the Hoffman process. Who was Bob Hoffman and how did he come up with this stuff? The quadrinity concept and why it's the key to unlocking our potential. The Hoffman cycle of transformation, awareness, expression, compassion, and forgiveness to generate new behaviors and deep interchange. How we take on negative patterns and more importantly, you guys, how we break them, right? Because we can identify, but how do we get rid of those damn things? We're going to find out. What are some of the typical family roles that we take on and how do they shape our lives as adults? How can we live from our more authentic spiritual self? Then we talk about the phenomenon of transference and how it hurts relationships and the role that surrender has in the Hoffman process and how does it differ from submission and compliance and just giving up? How the process approaches addictions. Then we find out if positive visualization actually works and if it's possible to break past the subconscious limitations we impose upon ourselves by doing it. So this is a truly fascinating interview with a brilliant and really funny man. He also has a hella cool accent, which I think you'll enjoy. So get ready to face your deepest truth as we explore the Hoffman process with Tim Lawrence. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you. Very happy to be here, Luke. Dude, good to see you again. Yeah, yeah. We spent a really intense week together a few months ago at the Hoffman process, and uh, it's interesting actually seeing you outside of that, because when you're a participant in a process like that, the facilitators almost have an authoritative tone. You know, it's like you're trying to follow the rules and follow directions and all of that stuff. And it's funny, you just pulled up in front of my place in your car and I'm like, oh, he's just a guy. <laughs> he's not going to tell you where to be when anymore. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's really, it's really yeah. good to see you, man. I appreciate you taking the time out. Nice to be doing this while I'm here in Los Angeles. Yeah, man. So since I did the process, you know, I tend to talk about these personal development mm -hmm. and health explorations, anything that I do that I find to be useful, I talk about it. And I've had a lot of people that are very curious about the process hmm. and I've been promising them on social media and through email and stuff I'm going to do a show about the process don't worry it's coming it's coming so I'm really stoked that uh, great, you, you made it great. here yeah we have a lot of curious people mm -hmm. and one of which being um, Neil Strauss who's the one that first told me about the Hoffman process, but he still hasn't done it. He's, so. he's done a lot, though, because I've read, he has, I've yeah. read a, f a few of his books. But that, is it the most recent one, The Truth, where he, where he mentions it? Yeah. Because in The Truth, he's gone into stuff very deeply, hasn't he? You know, yeah. He's, he's not, not a guy to just pick and be a dilettante, but he went in quite deeply, yeah. Hardcore, yeah. The process of that book changed my life. That's, I had such a good time interviewing him about that. Um, but yeah, when he writes a book, he fully immerses himself 
in whatever he's writing about for a number of mm. years. Like that book actually spanned five years of his five. life. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And that's why there's such, you know, there's so many different stages mm. that he goes mm. through. But yeah, in the book, he writes about the Hoffman process as one of the things that he's heard uh, recommended. And then when he told me, he said, dude, let's go do the Hoffman process. And I got in touch <laughs> with you guys and they're like, uh, it doesn't work like that. You don't like come with your friends. You need to come by yourself. Come for a social week. <clears throat> yeah. And he sent you down there as the canary down the coal mine. Exactly. To test the air. Exactly. And then when I came out, I said, okay, I vouch for it. It's good. But it'll be great to get this recording. I'll send Mm. it to him and he can get uh, an even (laughs) deeper dive. So let's get into how you first got involved in this process. What was your background before you became a Hoffman facilitator? Well, apart from being sort of, you know, uptight and repressed British, um, I had a training in academic psychology um, and a very curious nature. You know, I just wanted to figure out what's it all about? You know, why, why are we here? What are we meant to do? And I think we're meant to do a lot more than just, you know, earn, earn money and pay the bills. So actually, I had come to live in California because um, everything that I was interested in where sort of Western psychology had the most... Um, new adventures as it were and perhaps it looked a bit about what was going on in the in the east in in a spirit tradition seemed to come out of california and i suppose it was a part of the tradition was esalen you know there was a huge flowering of stuff going on esalen fritz pearls i mean many many names and a few years later that was just you know landing so i thought oh if i come here i'll be at the very crucible of it you know ground zero for um human development and so it was, and I spent a few years here, and I got into various sets of people who did this or that. And like you, you know, you you do it by personal recommendation when you really want to do something deep, not just by, um, you know, picking up a brochure. And eventually, and it was quite a few years, some of my friends started doing the Hoffman process, and they talked about it in a different way. Oh, I paid attention. But I still waited because I thought, okay, is it going to be another one of those five-day wonders? Or not even, you know, some things you do and they're over by Tuesday, the effects <laughs> over by Tuesday. But they were still talking about this six months and a year later, so I did it. So the background was I wanted to change. You know, I was fed up with my life. The same old story about relationships, the same old story about depression. Um, looking at different methods. I knew that academic psychology or analysis wasn't going to do it, and I wanted something that brought in many, many elements. And, you know, for me, it was a, it was a great course at the, right, at the right time. And I'm very glad to be speaking with somebody who's actually done it, because you've got, a, you know, a, a very deep, I hope, personal experience of what's, <laughs> what's involved. Very much so. Yeah, I was actually, in preparation for this conversation, I was reviewing my workbook ah. and some of those things, and it actually really brought me back because it's, it's funny, when you, when you go through, or at least when I go through these transformational experiences, mm-hmm. whether they be a weekend or a week, or in some cases, some of mine have been three weeks, during the process, it seems like I'm going to be <clears throat> sort of... I don't know, you get so deeply invested in it that it seems like the vernacular and the experiences that you go through and sort of the framework that you learn are going to become part of your conscious Mm. mind and just Mm. how you operate Mm. in your life where I'm going to take on the vocabulary of the Hoffman process when you're in there because you're having this profound experience. What's been interesting about it for me is that I rarely think about the process. Mm, like mm. once I was out, I went and did my three days mm. out in the woods in Napa and you know, just kind of reflected and took in the process as was recommended. 
And then I've done very little thought about it, mm. but it's had a profound change on me on a subconscious level. Mm. My life has changed drastically in, in the most positive sense since then. Mm. But I don't have a direct cognitive correlation like, oh, you know, A plus B equaled C and here I am at D. It's just sort of like, hmm, well, wow, things are very different a few months later. An, an emotional experience, an emotional edu- I feel like yeah. interviewing you now instead of going in deeper into <laughs> well, your, your can, experience. We yeah. can do that too. But uh, <laughs> what do you think, you mentioned the limitations of psychotherapy. Uh, you know, when you were looking to change, you said, well, I knew that wouldn't work. I, I guess because we can go into our heads even more. We can figure it out. You know, I have, say, a a problem with relationships and I go to a relationship counselor and I learn all the little bits and pieces. I might even learn about, you know, how to better communicate, but I haven't had a fundamental emotional change about how I want to be in that relationship. And so it could be for overwork or never saying no or whatever the the presenting issue is. I think there are certain limitations to thinking about it. And unfortunately, I know some people who have thought about it so much, they're really good at explaining it and they become obsessed by it. It's a rationale for how they behave. So, you know, I think I wanted a sort of a bare guts and all really get in there and do it. I quite like intensity anyway, and it's great to have the chance to do, you know, a residential course. But what you were reminded of was um, was my experience too. I couldn't analyze it right away because what was happening there was an emotional education, an emotional experience. And that will bring me on to, you know, a bit about the background of it, you know, because the the man who f- who founded it, he wasn't well trained. He wasn't an academic. He wasn't a PhD psychologist. He wasn't a psychoanalyst. He was a guy who felt intuitively how we might be and how we might change. And he just went in there. He just went in there, and he would do stuff, say stuff, feel stuff, and people would be well. You're a funny little fellow, but something about what you do seems to work. And so we had all these guys, you know, with brilliant intellects who say, hmm, I want to learn from you. And this is Bob Hoffman. This is Bob, Bob Hoffman, who I was yeah. lucky enough to, um, to train with. You know, I was, I think, the, probably the last person that he, that he fully trained here in, in, in California before he retired and he, and he died you know, a few years afterwards. He was the guy that I wonder now if I, would, um, if I would dismiss him too much, you know, because I know a lot more now than I did, did then. It was nearly 30 years ago. Um, and he d- didn't come across very polished. Now I expect somebody to know their stuff, to present it well, you know, to have all kinds of, you know, social media presence or whatever. This is a guy who could hardly handle at the time of facts, um, but he had a gift. <laughs> he had a gift. No, he would say, "Can you make that call for me?" Because I just can't work out how you put in the international number or whatever. You know, he would not have been very good with, with the whole internet now. Um, but I. Of all the teachers that I've had, and you know, and I was in India for a while, and you know, I studied in Europe, and then I studied here. Of all the teachers I had, he was in a way the most brilliant. And by brilliant, I mean he had a yes, he had a, a cleverness, but he had a the brilliance was making things simple. He could package things in a in a very simple simple way. For instance, you know, on the first time I met him, it was the first day of of the process, and. Um, you know, I went in there to try to impress him. I went in there to, you know, strut my stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I, um, I'll, I'll tell you how, you know, I'll, I'll run this. I've done a lot of stuff. <laughs> and anyway, you know, I blabbered on about, you know, does this fit in with? I can see the sort of psychodynamic element, but there seems a bit of gestalt mixing. They said, you can't fool me. 
I'm too ignorant. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing you can, I couldn't say, the rug had been taken away from my feet. There's nothing I could really respond to that. So he kind of had me there out of my head and dropping down into here. And then he started going in there more, you know, about the old, old feelings. And that's what a lot of his course is about. And his legacy is about what are we still sitting on? that we can't figure out through books or through talking. What is the raw stuff that's in there that needs to come out? Which is why some people say that, you know, it's it's like um, going to emotional boot camp or a psychological detox. People use phrases that are pretty intense about the process. And one of the jokes I say is, um, you know, if I'm giving a talk, who's done the process, hands up. Who hasn't done the process, hands up. Who can't remember? And that gets a laugh because most people will <laughs> remember if they've done if they've done it. Absolutely. Well, that's the interesting thing about it is I, you know, I guess I was the canary in the coal mine for Neil, but I actually told my friend James about it. And uh, it's funny because he just hit me up a couple hours ago and said, hey, let's go grab a burger. I said, no, I'm doing an interview about the hopping process with Tim. You weren't at the process that James uh, participated in, uh, incidentally. But anyway, he was all excited about it. But he was you know, wanting to affect change in his life. And I said, you know, I haven't been to this thing, James, but I hear really good things about it. And based on what I've read on the website, it all seems to make sense uh, in the framework that we have kind of worked within. Mm -hmm. And so he went and he came back and he was a different guy. Mm. I mean, he was sort of, uh, I don't think he'd mind me outing him. I guess I'm not saying his last name, but he was British. Mm. Oh, he is British. He, he, didn't, he, he changed didn't, his yeah, nationality. He, no, he stayed. Yeah. He stayed British. <laughs> maintained the accent, but he was very, very polite, like mm. people pleasing sort of personality. You know, not at all aggressive. I would say more so self deprecating and just overly like nice guy politeism. And I think had a difficult time asserting himself in certain mm. situations and just kind of standing up for himself and being strong mm. and. You know, here he is. He's a very successful businessman. I mean, he's got a lot going on. He's a highly intelligent, educated, highly successful guy. But that was his little quirk that he needed to mm-hmm. work out. And he came back and just like, I was like, who is this dude? Really? I mean, yeah, he came, he came out and he was just very assertive. It seemed that he had uh, really gained in mm. self-worth. Uh, self-respect. He just kind of held his head higher. Mm. He stopped sort of taking shit in relationships mm. that he mm. was in. And uh, yeah, I was just very impressed. So I kind of had my own canary. And when he mm. came, I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. Oh, good, good. You had yeah. someone. Yeah. But oh, I know what I was going to say is that it was it was strange though, because part of the process is that you, as a participant, when you come out, you don't really talk about the details mm. of it because mm you know, give people preconceived ideas or kind of spoil the experience maybe for someone or even deter someone from Mm -hmm. doing it if they get scared off by some of the modalities or exercise and things like that. So he was like dying for me to go so we could share about it and talk about the experience. Yeah, because he's like, God, I wish I could tell you, but he's just like, it was really heavy. And then what was funny is going through the process, especially in a lot of the expressive work where you're really dealing with Mm. these core emotions and getting them out in the ways, uh, the ways in which you do during Mm -hmm. the process. And I was laughing so many times in there. Like there's James, like he's a guy. I mean, if you're a guy and you hug him, he just turns into (laughs) a board. I mean, he's not a touchy feely Mm. emotional guy. He's very like classic British 
sort of repressed personality in a sense. And uh, when I was in there, I was going, oh my God, how did James do this? How did he survive? He must have been dying. You know, (laughs) I'm like a pretty out there guy. Mm. Even as a teenager, I did a lot of, you know, emotional expressive work and a lot of therapy and stuff. So none of it was very new Mm. to me. I won't say that it was comfortable to deal with some of those things, but yeah, it was... uh, Funny to sit through that stuff and go, oh my God, I wish he I was, was really throwing himself in the deep end. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, it was, it was beautiful because he just went all in. Mm-hmm. He went all in. He didn't hold back. He said, Luke, I just made a decision, you know, when there was something like, all right, who wants to go first? He would raise his hand. He just dove into the deep water brave, right from the brave start. Guy. Very yeah. much so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, I was, I, had, I was so proud of him and had so much respect for him. And then I sort of uh, had to step up uh-huh. to, you know, yeah. having, keep, gotta keep my word now. Yeah, having been the one that was like, <laughs> oh no, you should really go. This would be good for you. And he came back and was like, this would yeah. be good for you. So how did, uh, how did Bob Hoffman come up with this stuff? And we're going to, you know, when I say this stuff, we'll of course go into that. But where do you think he got the idea if he wasn't, you know, trained well, def- definitely. You know, um, he he got a, quite a lot of ideas about how the early family may condition your personality because he himself had been in a, a Freudian analysis, okay. and he also ha- seemed to have quite a lot of ongoing conversations with um, an old Freudian analysis, an Austrian Im- immigrant who came over in the in the thirties called Fischer, and he would talk a lot a lot with him. But then he also had, and this is very rare now. He didn't clutter his mind up. He didn't have a lot of even books going around, let alone, you know, having to check his text message or, you know, who's messaging him on WhatsApp, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. He kept his mind really clear and he had a sense of intuition, a sense of knowing what was going on with people that, um, to me, I've never met anybody in my life who's, who's had that. It was scary. It was like, you know, oh my God, I can't hide anything from, from this man. And of course, in a context where people are saying, I kind of know what the problem is, but I don't know how to get there. He was an excellent guide in figuring figuring that out. And I would say, yeah, we, it's mainly just in, intuition or a psychic sense of what's going on. But to put it more specifically, he could guide people back into memories um, of how they had emotionally learned to be, you know, uptight or very angry or very scared or whatever the problem was he could guide them back in and see and walk them through it as a child now that may itself sound a bit scary so it has to be done quite quite safely and it took us a long time to figure out how to do it in a group and so on but what he's saying is yes we've got these adult intellects but there's a part of us that is still and this is not new to a lot of people part of us is still not grown up part of us is still stunted in our emotions and we can call that a a childlike part and that's why you know, we'll have a temper tantrum in a relationship, whereas we can, you know, be the CEO of a major corporation. <laughs> we still have that emotional part going going on. Um, and that was his gift, I think. He didn't clutter up his, his intellect too much. He got in there with the emotions, and he had a very strong spiritual connection. And I think that's how people could relax with him. You're not trying to manipulate me. You're not in this for the money. He'd already made his money, actually. He was a successful businessman. But you're doing to this to help me. He had an enormous amount of compassion, and that motivated him. And he went on. He, and as I said, he was a quirky little little guy. He was a short, short, short man. And there was a lot of Jewish language and Jewish jokes and Jewish humor in in the way the way he taught. But he led people out of um, often, you know, a 
a dark, dark place that they'd found themselves stuck in. Let's go into some of the process itself. There was one bit of information that I got before going that I found intriguing and was kind of one of the concepts that helped me get on board because it makes sense. And that was this concept of uh, the quadrinity. Can you break that down for us? Okay, yeah, so it's a fancy term for four, four parts. Um, so what we're saying is that it's easy for us to understand ourselves if we kind of deconstruct a bit, if we put them in, in parts. So there's Luke and there's Tim and we're talking and we're kind of having, you know, an intellectual conversation. So we could be the two adult intellects dressed as we are at our present age. So this is part of how we function. This is how, you know, we go out in the world, figure out, you know, how to get to places and and plan our meetings and so on. And there's another part, and you just alluded to that, and you said, you know, let's drop down a little deeper into the processes. Now we're getting more emotional. So the two parts that are very conditioned in us are the adult intellects and our emotional selves. And the other two parts of the body, what's going on in the physical physical self, that may be the tr a storage for all that's been going on in our in our in our lives, and is also a great way of expressing until we you know find that we perhaps we've been frightened of expressing. Um, and the fourth part is what isn't conditioned um, at all and doesn't have any memories of being traumatized, etc., um, which is the spiritual part. And that part is, you know, we don't kind of try to diagnose, but we give people some lovely images or background, and we do a lot of the visualizations for that. So your spiritual part, we'd say, is your intuitive part, your wise part, the part that takes you along a, a path towards, you know, greater, greater freedom, greater, greater light. A bulk of the work is done with these two parts, the intellect and the, and the emotions. So if you have all these four, you constantly know, you know, are you aware of your body? Are you getting a message from your spiritual self? Or are you too much in the chatter, in the inner warfare of the emotions and the intellect to actually listen to the body or listen to any spiritual message? And partly the course um, is designed in a way that there's more ability to be silent and tune into what's going on inside rather than just hearing because we don't have to tune into the awful chatter of the shitty committee, as it's been sometimes called, or the parliament of fools that goes on in <laughs> the there. parliament of fools. I've never heard that. I like that. The, um, so my defense would be um, with the intellect. You know, it was safe for me to be very clever, and that's why I made that comment to Bob, and he completely took it away. You can't be too clever here, he was saying. That's not your vulnerability. You need to be more vulnerable. And... Not everybody wants to be vulnerable and go straight into the into the emotions, which is part of why we have a retreat space. You know, I mean, part of I think the intensity of, of Hoffman is you go there and you're warned: no cell phones, no magazines, no internet, no chatting with your best best friend of a, of an evening, um, no no distractions you're there for yourself and that's why people call it you know not just a digital detox but you know there's a <laughs> an emotional detox going on um because you can really concentrate on that so the quadrinity is there as a as a model for human behavior you've got this you can understand it so let's go in where are you stuck is it okay you're not overly compensating on, on the intellectual, but on the emotional, you're always in fear or you're always shut down or you're always frightened of taking the next step, what's going on. And often say the Hoffman process is for those who are 
wound too tight. They works best for those who are wound very tight, like the repressed Brit that we well, had a couple of examples of, or those who are too loose or a bit all over the place. And it basically shows you know how to get your these four parts more in balance. There was one point at which we were going into the intellect, and I you know I know there's proprietary. <laughs> You know, information here. So I want to be careful not to, I don't want to give away the whole process because then if somebody's thinking about going, they'll have preconceived ideas or, you know, the surprise will kind of be blown in a sense. But there was one point that we were dealing with the part of the quadrinity that we're calling the intellect, the mind. Yeah. And it was making peace with the intellect and sort of calming it down almost mm. like patting it on the head and saying it's okay it's mm-hmm. okay we our higher mm. self our spiritual self has mm. got this mm. thank you for your input mm-hmm. good job mm-hmm. intellect but we don't need you here right now <laughs> do you remember how we got there? <laughs> no i don't well, okay i just remember a profound peace came mm. over me and i was like i mean you know i've meditated a lot i'm yeah. i'm aware of concepts and disengaging from the mind and thinking and all of that but it was that It was just the way that it was presented. What I remember was just that let's just uh, communicate from a place where I'm separate from the intellect Mm, and communicate mm. with it in a compassionate way and say, thank you so much for trying to support me and protect Mm. me, but you're not needed right now. (laughs) You Mm. can go take a nap Mm -hmm. while my heart or higher self has this experience. So that's kind of my reflection. Being a teacher of it, I can know exactly sort of where it com- comes in the process and what would be in the lead up to that. And one of the things we say is, you know, you, we can't just make an affirmation about, oh, let's all feel peaceful now, or let's all forgive, or let's all move on. We have to do some sort of get in there, down and dirty emotional work beforehand. So before you're able to say to your intellect, you know, I think you can let this one go, your intellect was given free reign to have an enormous, enormous shout out. In British slang, we call it a Barney. You know, a right old argy-bargy, just <laughs> flinging all kinds of words words out because there's this frustration and we have the, uh, the intellect imagine in a gestalt kind of way talking to this younger self or the irresponsible self or the carefree self or saying, oh, I'm fed up, I have to keep it all together. Because, yeah, if you try to meditate when your mind is going all over the place and you're just trying to keep it all together or you're frustrated or what, or all of this is going on, it's incredibly hard. You know, you have like half a second. So I think what you're alluding to is you were able to get that because you'd given your intellect, you know, a free reign. And in Buddhism, say, you know, if you give a, a big field to an angry bull, it'll work itself up. But you put that bull into a little barn and it will start kicking the doors, doors down. I've not heard that. That's cool. Mm. I think one of the things in general with the process that resonated with me and was in alignment with other teachings that have been beneficial for me is the idea that the ego and the intellect are not your enemy and that to fight against them (laughs) is a futile battle. Mm. It's a fool's errand Mm. because Mm. the mind thinks. I mean, that's what it does. Mm. The ego protects itself or thinks it's protecting you uh, yeah just you relax know? on that one we're always going to have our egos we're always going to have our intellect so how do we work with them you know if you're going to be there at the party what do you bring that's positive what are the qualities that we can work with and what are the things that you may be not so aware you know that are self-destructive you know are you over analytical are you over perfectionistic so we're saying yeah it, you 
you've got a very valuable intellect and we do a lot of work around appreciation gratitude and a bit of self-appreciation because a lot of people just find it very very hard to think well what's positive inside inside of them and the ego too yeah my sense of i my sense of self not in a false or shallow way about you know bigging myself up in, in empowerment but a healing sense of self that goes way back into the very early years and rises through to give a sense of okay i'm okay as i am can you describe the process of the cycle of transformation? Yeah, sure, sure. So um, any time that you want to make a profound change, firstly, obvious, you've got to be aware of what's going on. So, num so the four steps in the cycle of transformation, the first one is awareness. What is stopping me from moving, moving forward? You know, maybe I find it very hard to meditate or I find I'm overworking. What's the presenting problem? And again and again, in the process we're looking at from different modalities, is it a pattern from um, your family? Is it a role you took on? Is it something in your intellect? Is it something in your emotional self? And so on. We're looking at different ways of awareness. And we might talk about you know, things like vicious cycles later. Um, then we're saying, okay, you're aware. Fantastic. You can be aware, really aware, but nothing will change. So you need to express and I think that's why people don't talk a lot about what goes on in the process, because there's a lot of expression. And it's kind of hard to, it's hard to explain that. You know, how do I explain what I went through with my emotions that might have been very different from, from your emotions? Um, and obviously in the course, you know, we've got the room and the time and the lack of distractions to be able to do that. But what we might say to people in any cycle of transformation is be aware and then express it by journaling or by sharing or by going for a, you know, a powerful walk or a run or chopping wood, not that you need to do that a lot in Los Angeles, um, but something where you're physically expressing. You know, it, could be the, it could be dance. So awareness and expression. The next one, and this is one that I hadn't come across before then, and I think it's still pretty rare, is forgiveness and compassion. It's rare because it's a little, I don't know, a little woo-woo, a little soft and it doesn't have a lot of you know academic background to it and this is where um bob hoffman's spiritual feel came in with it what he's saying is look you may be in a way you may be expressed you may feel very powerful you may have you know let go a lot of the grief and anger those are the two main things that people are holding on to in terms of needing to to express resentment um, or sadness then forgive but uh, you can only forgive when you've really had that, that clearing out. You can forgive and get that peace of mind when you've had that real clearing out. So the forgiveness and compassion is necessary in the cycle of transformation before the last part, the fourth part, which is new behavior. What is it now that you can visualize or actualize to actually do to be in new behavior? And already in the process, we're trying to get people to see themselves and act in different ways, but that's the ongoing thing. The ongoing thing is to, um, you know, perhaps a very profound change for people in new behavior is, oh, I'm not the emotional wreck that I thought I was, or I'm okay as I am, or, you know, I have the right to speak up for myself, or um, I don't have to protect myself as much. Whatever the new behavior is, then we take it further and we're giving a lot of tools about how to, you know, fine-tune that new behavior. So to recap, I hope your attention was still there with me. Absolutely. Awareness, expression. I mean, it, and plus having experienced it, yeah. I, I see the way that it's all connected. So yeah, carry on. 
awareness, expression, forgiveness, and new behavior, the four. And then it comes back to awareness. Because, okay, I've done all these, and now I have a, a new, hopefully higher, higher awareness. It's interesting that the compassion and forgiveness piece comes after the expression, because it's like... Okay, well, just the whole way that it's in order. First is having the awareness, okay, wow, I have a problem, right? And this, you know, for me, this goes into the the addiction recovery model. I mean, the very first thing that's necessary is for you to admit to yourself, like, okay, I can't fix this myself. I have a problem here. There's something wrong. But in the um, getting into the forgiveness and compassion of others and of self, I don't think that's possible unless you've expressed the pain inherent to that resentment or mm. condemnation mm. you know it's like how can you how can you forgive someone unless you've been able to get it off your chest so to speak mm. you know whether that be in writing or yelling or talking or you said like some physical expression of movement or something like that otherwise i think what's happened for me is that i have an intellectual concept that oh they didn't mean it mm. i should forgive them mm. or i should be more kind and appreciative of myself or self compassionate but not really feeling i deserve it because those wounds are still active mm, mm. you know i haven't really been able to dig through the pain so to speak and i'm still repressing or suppressing that stuff so the forgiveness or compassion sort of short lived Mm. No, you're right. You're it right. doesn't it's go a, that deep, you know. I should be a better person. I should have got over that horrendous relationship. <laughs> yeah. She lives in New York, but she's still in my head every day, you know. And that's what we're saying. It's an internal forgiveness because he, she, whoever in the past that we need to forgive may not ever know that. We may never meet them again. But what we're working with is our own resentment or our own guilt or whatever it is that is tying up inside so we can let go of the past and, you know, have a, have a clean slate. But you're right. It would be lovely to be able to forgive without having to, you know, churn stuff around because it can be, you know, it can look a bit messy at times. But you're right. And one of the things like Scott Peck, you know, who was, wrote books a long time ago and early on, The Road Less Traveled, he said that you can't forgive someone unless you've found them guilty. You can't issue a pardon until you found them guilty. So in a sense of saying, okay, it was wrong. I can get it out. I need never say it was okay. I need never condone the act, but I... Don't have to condemn the person. I can move on from that, and what a relief to let go of to let go of that and forgive. I think that's what people have a block with in terms of forgiveness is they perceive it, and I'm sure I have at times, not so much anymore, but that you're condoning abusive behavior or something like that. Like when I had to go in and deal with my own childhood abuse, it was difficult at first because. It wasn't okay, you know, being traumatized when you're a kid. It's just, it's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. So how can you accept the unacceptable, you know? And it took me a lot of work and a long time to be able to fully zoom out and having to express the feelings of sure. pain and betrayal yeah. and all of that. But then eventually to be able to zoom out and kind of look at the big picture and go, ah, oh, okay, mm. this is just a hurt person that hurts mm. people. You know, and then and then looking at my own life too, and ways in which I've hurt people because I was hurt, mm -hmm. and and that um, that brings me into the patterns actually, which is what I wanted to talk about next. So, really, essentially, this cycle of transformation that you just described. I mean, the end goal essentially is to break out of those unconscious or even conscious negative patterns where we keep manifesting the same experience over and over again in relationships or yeah. family dynamics or... And just before we get on yeah. to you know, the specific patterns that you were mentioning, just 
that sense of being able to let go needs to be done at that very tender level. And I think if people think we're saying, you know, you can just forgive very easily, you were so right to bring that about. It's only when you've really been in there. And one of the core parts of the process is understanding, and this is something that we have to do emotionally, not intellectually, that those who hurt us, as you say, were hurt themselves. Those who hurt had miserable lives. And it doesn't mean, especially in light of what's come out in you know, Hollywood in the past couple of weeks, you don't condone that behavior. You never say that's okay. But you can get over your anger and rage about it so you don't always have the figure of your abuser or oppressor or the school bully or whoever in your mind. You can lay that aside. So it's tricky, but yeah, let's yeah. get on to the... Yeah, well, yeah, actually, I kind of just brushed over like the whole forgiveness piece. Like, oh, yeah, and then you just figure it out and it's all good. <laughs> I, I, and someone was asking me about this the other day because they listened to the show and they said, wow, you seem like you've forgiven everyone, you know? And I go, yeah, I have. I, I don't really remember how it happened, I, I, but I think probably from the process of really going into the pain and feeling the betrayal and, and mm. feeling the hurt and expressing it in a healthy way, mm. after years of repressing it, suppressing mm. it, not expressing it, not sharing it. And also I think just, yeah, I call it zooming out where you can kind of look out and, and have some empathy for the offending party, you yeah, know, without, yeah. without saying, yeah, what they did is right or even what they're doing now is right. But, to see that every human being is really doing the best they can in any mm. given moment. And to get that on a real heartfelt level, yeah. Yeah. To really understand that gives you a lot of freedom just to move on, move on in life. It yeah. does, yeah. And I've found, too, that even relationships that I thought had no chance because there had been harm on both sides, mm. when both parties have found that deep forgiveness and mm. sort of been able to step outside of the drama of mm. it and really look like, all right, we're both just mm. being idiots and you both just forgive each other and move on. It's like nothing ever happened. It's just fine. You but, know, sometimes it can happen in an instant. It's that surrender moment where you stop fighting the person or the mm. situation. Yeah, no, as you say, I, I get a real sense from you that, yeah, something very calm comes about you when you talk about that. You don't know quite happened, but something something shifted <laughs> yeah well you know what it just hurts to hurt man mm -hmm. after a while it's just like god i, I really can't live with mm -hmm. resentment and condemnation for other people but i also uh over time have become much less tolerant of bullshit too i mean i if i'm in a situation where it's unhealthy or i'm being harmed or mm -hmm. not respected or mistreated in any way i mean i'm out so fast i also you know i have really low tolerance so for a healthier boundary perhaps yeah i'm uh, getting there i'm getting there yeah so that makes it easier to forgive because it's mm. like well cool you you do you it's fine i'm you not going to be trampled on all yeah, over again but, but yeah. it doesn't but i don't have to keep putting myself in those yeah, situations yeah. where you know i was harmed because in in my life earlier on a lot of times when i'd be in a situation in which i would get betrayed or hurt or however you want to contextualize it it's because i had some selfish motive mm. in that situation mm. and i kind of like got myself into it mm. unconsciously or consciously that's got a, hurt that's the thing yeah. and in in taking responsibility i think is where you maybe you're sensing like oh there's this piece around that it's because i see my part in every situation mm. that mm. i've been in i mean there was 
you know, when I was really young and I was the victim of abuse, I mean, there were definitely situations in which I had no responsibility at all. And those were difficult Mm. to forgive and took some time because I didn't do anything. I'm an innocent Mm. kid. But as an adult, I mean, if I'm really honest with myself, it's like, well, Luke, you know, you poked the beehive Mm. and they came out and stung you. So can you blame the bees? You know, you wanted the honey and you got in there and you you did it to yourself in a sense. And then comes the self-forgiveness of like, not going, oh, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I did that either, you know? Mm. So it's done with, a, with kindness. Because there are two things there. One of them is, you know, um, the victim is a nice role to fill in. You, and you don't have, you know, any choice about it as, as, a, as a child, perhaps. But what about if you, and this is, comes into a thing about patterns, a pattern becomes so set, or the role of a victim becomes so set that that's what I'll set up in life. And so one of the things we're saying is we're actually asking people to be honest about have you been a victim? Are you often the scapegoat? Yeah, but that's always other people's fault. Well, no, see how it is. You're the the one person who's always in that in that situation. And then don't beat yourself up for it. Don't use, you know, your knowledge about patterns and things just to beat yourself up. Um, move on with with kindness and gentleness. And I'd say in the cycle of transformation, when you come down to awareness, always do it with self-love else it's just beating yourself up more. Chances are that if you're listening to this here podcast that you lead a very health conscious lifestyle. And if you don't, you're going to soon if you keep listening. So do you want to get hooked up and save some money on life insurance because you live that lifestyle? I bet you do. Well, I recently found a company called Health IQ. That's a life insurance agency that finds you discounted rates based on your level of health and your lifestyle. Now, they can save their customers up to 33% because of these stats. Check this out. It's staggering. Physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and a 58% lower risk of diabetes as compared to people who are inactive and eat crappy food. So now is your chance to actually benefit from all of the hard work you've been putting in to lead a healthy lifestyle. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com forward slash lifestylist, and you are going to be really impressed with what these guys are up to. Very innovative system they've created. I'm totally behind it and can't wait for you to check it out. So again, go to healthiq.com forward slash lifestylist. What are some of these archetype family roles that end up forming the patterns of our personalities in our lives? Okay, well, the top two that sort of trip off the trip of my tongue, one of them is um, the black sheep, the rebel. There'll always be one in the family who will go against the grain and always do the wrong things and act out. And part of that is perhaps for more attention. At least I'll get some attention when you're disciplining me. And the other one is um, the goody-goody. A lot of people just will always follow the rule book and they're coming to the process not because everything's been, you know, fallen about them, but because they never seem to get their needs met. You know, they just they've done the perfect life, career, marriage and so on. But there are many others. You know, somebody can be the entertainer. I think I've been in Hollywood now a few days, so I've <laughs> seen a few, a few a few of those. Yeah. Um they're the funny guy who or funny girl who gets the family laughing and dissolves the tension. Or they can be, even early on, they can be very tidy and perfectionistic. You can see sort of obsessive behavior coming on because my world, if it's ordered neatly like that, then I can understand it, then it's safe. 
So um, the entertainer, the goody-goody, the black sheep, the star, somebody who you know automatically has a lot of attention because they do very well at school. Um, I mean, you have one sheet that has sort of you know a couple of couple of hundred of them. Um, may I ask what yours might have been? Well, you nailed it on the first one, the black sheep. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just—it's more interesting it's, being, than being a goody goody. Well, I think it's kind of more <laughs> badass, you know. But you, there's a price to pay. Sure there's a price is, to yeah. pay for rebellion. I mean, I caused myself a lot of pain and victimized myself really as a result of that mm-hmm. defiance and that rebellion. But of course, that was just my—I guess—my mechanism of. Mm protecting myself and you know as you said it's better to get negative attention than to be ignored yeah and that was definitely the route uh the route that i took Mm. yeah for sure but i think you know don't all of us display at different times and different dynamics (laughs) those roles because i've also been the hero of the family and tried to save everyone and i've been we're 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 simplifying but it sometimes allows us to work in you know a a cluster of patterns. So mm-hmm. if you were the hero for a long time, we could work with that. If you were the black sheep for a long time, we could work with that. And in which, in, in each of them, you know, how much have you suffered? Which is your motivation for change? So yeah, we may be in different different roles, but it's the ones that, you know, come into our work, come into our relationships. That's what we want to look at. They've gone on too long. And what are resistance patterns? Well, resistance pattern, uh, you know, because... um. We, we use it, I suppose, because we've got a short time. We've got just a week to work with people. And we say, what is it that you may bring here that you're aware of or maybe, you know, other, other people have told you about that could get in, the, get in the way of this or life? So a resistance pattern would, for me, be an example I would have given, be overanalyzing, you know, cutting, cutting splitting, splitting hairs so much that I would never move on. A resistance pattern would be... Um, of a black sheep, we're saying, oh, "I'm not doing this, man. This is uncool. This is not. <laughs> this is not. This is not my scene." Yeah. Um, and you want re- me to cry in front of a group of people? <laughs> Excuse me. I ain't doing that. Didn't you see my leather jacket when I walked in? <laughs> I ain't crying, man. Another one, because we just thought about those ones. Another one, maybe. Um, even a goody-goody can be a resistance pattern because you won't actually be invested in doing something for yourself. You'll just be compliant. You'll just submit to doing it along. We'll say, actually, don't use that. You've used that all along. You know, do something when your heart and your soul are really in there. There's a couple things that I remember in the process that intrigued me, or it's two sides of one thing, and that was the difference between, I believe it was submission and surrender. Uh-huh, okay. Um yeah, we make a clear distinction, although they sound a bit bit similar. Submitting would mean, okay, I'm just going to do this. Yeah, throw it at me. You know, I'm giving up my phone for a week. What am I going to What am I going to do? I'm stuck here in the in the woods. Going along, you know, what is it? Uh, expression you have phoning it in. You know, you're there, but yeah. you're you're not you're you're not there. Right. Um, surrendering is we're saying um, being there wholly, consciously, knowing that you don't know all the answers and you're willing to learn something something new. And we have to sort of educate people that surrendering doesn't mean also I give up the white flag of surrender. It's more, you know, a spiritual discipline. I was surrendering my sense of ego or surrendering my sense of how I've acted in the world. And we say we're surrendering to the best part of myself, surrendering to my spiritual self so I can move on and um, listen to the 
more wise parts of me. Yeah, I find that really valuable. Um, a term that I've heard in in place of the word submission is compliance. Mm. You know, where you're, like you said, you're just kind of going along with, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, what do you want me to do? Sure, sure, and sort of, you know almost placating. Yeah, you know, no, I agree. It is a, it is a good and word it, for that. It's, oh. it's interesting because it seems that that actually blocks the surrender process because it puts up this wall mm. or even if you want mm. to surrender, if mm. you're sort of just going along, but mm. there's still like, there's still a hint of resistance, then you can't get to that deeper place where you just, I mean, my favorite place in the world is to be surrendered. I mean, that's where serenity and peace mm. lives. Mm. It's just going, okay, I admit I don't know what's best. I'm teachable. I'm humble. Yeah. I'm willing to learn. You know, it's like to the ego, though, surrender is like, it's the arch enemy. Cause like you said, it's that white flag, isn't mm. it? Where you're like, yeah. oh, so does that mean I'm going to become gullible or be taken advantage of or be and victimized? The ego is so clever and so subtle and will play all types of games to try, try, try to get back there. So you kind of need a program. You need a reminder like the serenity prayer, you know, that let me just be able to figure out what it is that I can control, what it is I can't, because the beauty is knowing, <laughs> knowing the difference that there is. Yeah. There are times when I just have to have to give up. Do you find uh, that there are a lot of people that come to the process? I mean, because it's something, once you volunteer that and you're paying money to go to this thing and you take time out of your life, I mean, I'm assuming most people want to get some results and they, they want to participate, but do you find a lot of people have a hard time being that vulnerable? Well, being vulnerable in the sense of what showing their emotions, yeah, or, so, you know, you share, yeah, showing your emotions and going through the process of expression and really talking mm. about your inner world I, in, I, an, in an honest, transparent way. It it is it is bizarre because you know after the first sort of three or four years working here, I went and took the the process to to the UK, and you know the, my own background and those that I've worked with most come from a place where you don't just automatically share your your <laughs> yeah. experiences. So how is it that we do that? One of the things, and I would say with the British and with anybody, is the bigger the front, the bigger the back. If you've got a lot of stuff to repress, there's also a great willingness, not conscious, not one that you'd volunteer at a at a evening out, but a great willingness to wanna to want to get it out. And um there's a certain, I suppose, structure of the group, the safety of being a retreat center and so on that allows it. But also we make it difficult for people to get there. We make the barrier to entry higher than there would be in something. It's not a weekend. It's not cheap. You've got to give, um, I don't know, how long did it take you to do the coursework beforehand? It's a few hours, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of work leading up to it. And I don't know how many other courses you have to do where you fill in lots of things. You know, if you're applying to, you know, university perhaps. Yeah. But it asks you for quite a bit. So people come in invested already. And there are quite a few people that are always saying, now's not the right time. You know, they won't send in their work or they don't get it. I mean, you basically have to ad admit, um, I will be there not having the control I usually have over my, my week. And some people think, I think, sod it, I'm going to go in, going to go for it. And the advice I had, and I hear a lot of people give that advice to their friends, is just do it. Just, just when you're there, go for it. Yeah, that, that's what I did. I mean, I think I was fortunate enough when I went through the process that right at that moment, that week when I, I think I consider it like checked myself in, 
it was almost like an emotional rehab or treatment center. I mean, it's like what happened when I was 26, you know, I hit this just critical point where I just could not go on and I finally submitted to a 28-day treatment program. And the best, literally the best decision I ever made in my life. But I was at a real emotional, due to a couple of issues with a couple of different, you know, primary relationships at the time when I... Uh, you know, called Hoffman. It was like, I need to get in. When's there a spot? Mm-hmm. What, you know, I'm like, I was almost like running out you of LA ready. with my yeah. ass on fire. You know, I was just like, oh my God, I don't care what happens. I just need to not be by my phone mm-hmm. and my email. I just need to be in the woods doing something other than thinking about my problems and this pain that I was mm-hmm. going through, you know? So I think that's one of the reasons too that I, I think I got out and I'm it's sort of like I was punch drunk in a way. I'm like, what just happened? I'm not really sure. <laughs> I came back. People said, how, how was it? I said, it was great. Well, what happened? I go, you know, I don't really know. I think I went in there just so beat down at that particular point. Oh, I was you having, were ready, Luke. You were really ready. And that's what we say, come when you're really yeah. ready. When you're fed up of being fed up. So there was no resist. I mean, there was no resistance. Mm. I had no, no power with which to resist the process mm. at all. I was probably like the perfect... Take me, I'm yours. Yeah, the perfect <laughs> participant because there was no compliance. There was no mm. submission. There was no fight. I was just mm. like, I need help. Whatever you guys tell me to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go completely balls out and and, uh, right. and give it all I've got. Right. It has been interesting though. You know how I've noticed the transformation is the way people treat me in my interpersonal relationships is different. Mm. Yeah, really like strange. How? The people that I'm close to, I wouldn't say that they didn't have respect for me, but they seem to have more now. Oh, and. Right. And, you know, that would lead me to believe that perhaps I've gained a bit of self-worth and mm. self-respect because a lot of the process really is about self-love and self-forgiveness, yeah. you know, and that was, that happened on a conscious level, but I think it sort of takes some time for that to land and mm. come to fruition in one's life. And as I've gotten back into my day-to-day grind, I just notice, I don't know, people just Maybe you got a whole different energy feel. I, different, think, different I think so. Feel about you. Well, yeah. I think so uh, because it's palatable, mm. you know, in certain relationships where mm, I don't know. Also, I, it's been uh, four months now, and we say, you know, it yeah. does take time to filter through. In fact, we say don't make any, you know, big decisions in life for the first three months. Yeah. And people talk about, you know, they can feel the effects after nine months, as like a birth, or after two years, and people still talk about it ten years. So may you continue to. I I think I think so. I mean, it's a lot has changed for me on the inside, and even just what we're doing here, Mm. doing my podcast. I mean, I had been doing that for maybe close to a year when I went, but just Mm. my whole approach to it, and I think my level of confidence in the content that I'm creating and what I'm contributing to the world has gone up so much. I think um, I've become much less apologetic. And I've become much more vulnerable, just publicly authentic and real. Yeah, and I just, yeah. I just don't give a shit. Well, great. That's a great testimonial. Can I just say to our listeners that Luke's story is not being sponsored or paid no, for in any no. way to make this message? No, I mean, you know, and that's the thing. Before we started, Tim, I said, I, you know, I, I'm not doing. I get nothing out of promoting the Hoffman mm. process except God, just helping people, hopefully. And it's a great organization. Oh, but when I yeah. find health devices or different types of therapy or spiritual approaches, like this is what I do: is I report about it, you know, yeah. and. Uh, a, a great I, messenger for them. I have, you know, and I have no shame in doing that because I, I think, uh, 
one of my roles in the world is to sort of discover what works and what doesn't and to share what works with people. And as I was telling you, I've already had two listeners go through the Hoffman process and have amazing results just based on me mentioning it a few wow, times. So, wow. you know, imagine... Okay, I won't put them off then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, here, here's the thing, you know, speaking of those patterns, though, I mean, I've yet to have my own children. It could happen someday. I mean, I'm 47. I guess I got to start thinking about it sometime soon. But I really think as a result of the work that I've done on myself and looking at these patterns that come from my family and my upbringing, that I have a really good chance of breaking many of those patterns and not passing those on to the next generation. So, you know, I'm just one person with one podcast interviewing, you know, one Hoffman facilitator. But imagine the ripple effect of all the work you've done for all of these years and the work that I'm just beginning to do now. It was Bob Hoffman said, you know, let's change the world one person at a time. You know, you, you, you treat each person profoundly and individually, but you're been listening to what, about a million people now with all your yeah. podcasts. You know, there yeah. is, of course, a ripple, ripple effect. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. So I want to cover a little more about the family because sure. this is a you know this is an obvious phenomenon that's dealt with in mm-hmm. therapy. I mean, it's the therapeutic model. You're going, hey, you know, what are your mommy and daddy issues, right, and right, right. were you adopted or abused or abandoned and whatever, and that seems to shape our life. And so many of these patterns come out of that. And a lot of the Hoffman process is involved in you know looking mm-hmm. at the relationship with your primary caregivers and just your family in general. I mean, does anyone have healthy, normal parents that don't screw them up? Well, <laughs> I don't meet them um, in my work. You know, maybe I'm I not seeing don't... the wide demographic sample come to the whole right. process. Right. Maybe, yeah. Hope, you know, hope, hopefully there are. Hope, hopefully there are. But we'll see, you know, my, my work is with that. And maybe, you know, you, you've met, met a few. And, you know, there are those who say on a spiritual level, maybe we have a challenging time as children to grow from that. You know, maybe we learning these lessons about love, learning these lessons about compassion, that's the grist for the for the mill. You know, and parents try to do the best they can with their own limited resources. You know, there weren't any parenting classes or or or, or whatever when when they were bringing us up. So it is a fundamental thing we all have to deal with. Did I get enough love and attention? Did and it's very hard when parents are at work or got other kids and so on. But the important thing to remember is um, whether our parents were wonderful or not, what story do we make up about them? What is it that we're carrying forward 20, 30 years or so down, down the road that may, that may or may not be true? But the important thing is we feel it and we need to express it and we need to change it so we can change our own behavior and that have a ripple effect on society. That's why mom and dad are templates. We learn from them. There was a point at which I was probably 10 years older than my parents were when they had me when I was born. You know, mm-hmm. So I think they were 27, maybe like my late 30s. Uh-huh. I started to look back on myself at 27 mm-hmm. and look at my poor parents and then look at their parents. And mm-hmm. you know, God bless them. I, mean, I, lo- you know, I didn't really know either of my grandfathers, but both my grandmothers, although they had their issues like all of us, they were really mm-hmm. sweet mm-hmm. generally. You know? mm-hmm. They gave me a lot of love. But just looking at the way my parents had been parented, mm. and they, I mean, they just had no shot at 
doing a good job with me and then going back oh my god if i had had children at 27 years old i mean how bad i would have screwed them up and even at that point at 37 Mm. i'd been working on myself for you know 10 12 years or something and still was basically clueless i mean looking back now i'm 47 10 years ago i was like oh my god i was still such a disaster you know since then Yeah. yeah and so it's like I mean, I, I think that's going back to that forgiveness piece is when you're able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and, and looking at our parents and just knowing that I don't think any parent has a kid and, and thinks to themselves, all right, what's the worst possible decisions <laughs> yes. I could make? You know, yeah. I want to be the most evil, Let's abusive. Make a list of the top 10 yeah. things that will mess you up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, every parent is like doing the very best they can. And I think when you get to that point of realization, there's a real freedom in that and mm. having compassion for your parents. And, and then there's, as you said, is there not, I mean, you've done a lot of spiritual work and research from your life view would you say that in a sense we've chosen the circumstances of our birth and our parents to a degree in order to have those lessons i could say that on one level you know because it sounds sounds lovely and you know gives us a real reason to grow but the scientist in me will say where's the proof of that (laughs) so yeah the two two points of view can exist in my right in, in my mind uh, and I guess that's really inherent to the Hoffman process is there is there is the analytical mm, scientific mm. model and approach, but then there is this other pretty woo-woo element to the process. And I think that's something that I want to uh, go into now actually is there were a number of things and they're hard to remember in the process. There were a lot of exercises where I felt as if I was being hypnotized. <laughs> there were these visualization journeys that we went on and I'm, I'm pretty damn woo woo. I mean, I do Kundalini yoga. I mean, I, you know, practically walk around with cobras inside a turban. I mean, I'm out there uh, and willing to do some crazy stuff. But there were moments in the process where I was like, is this really happening right now? This is pretty weird. And I don't want to, you know, give away some of the surprises, but there was definitely an element of um, visualization and these journeys that we would go on. Mm. And then, as I was mentioning earlier, where there was the one thing where you kind of went through this process of expressing the intellect and then making peace with the intellect. And I just sat there and my mind was so quiet. And there were a number of different very spiritual guided meditation moments in the process um, during which and after which I felt this profound sense of peace. Mm. But those were punctuated with these periods of expression and exactly, you know, yeah, dealing. Yeah. So there was, it's a very much like a roller coaster experience. So it's a, it is an emotional roller coaster, and there's also the great calm. And we're trying to build on that throughout throughout the week. So I, I don't know when you said snakes in your turban and stuff. We never do anything <laughs> as weird as that. So what is it that's so weird about it? But because um, it's my day job, it isn't weird. For sure, me. sure. But yeah, a lot of the time we're um, working when people's eyes are closed. We're um, passing images like calming ones, like you know, picture yourself in a beautiful place in place in nature. Feel you know, breathing and everything, relax, and then allow different um, memories or different possibilities of how your your life to be in there. As the week goes on, your ability to fall down and relax in those, your ability to concentrate and stay with that grows deeper. So when you come out of it, you're still in a state of, of probably, you know, hopefully calmness. But it's again, it's working with the model of the quadrinity. We'll have a chat with your intellect. We'll give a 
10, 15, 20 minute explanation and all the intellects. Oh, well, I just have a question about that. You know, so we're saying, OK, great. You know, take care of the intellects. Then we may have in an emotional expression thing. So there's a bit for the for the emotional part that g gets out there. We'll say, OK, now calm your bodies. Let's have, you know, the, the spiritual nature be more nurtured now because we've done all that. Close your eyes. Some music comes on. We'll, we'll give you some images and then you can take it away from that. You know, we're not sort of saying this is um, a religion or this is a, a specific spiritual thing. We're just allowing people to get a sense of greater openness and quietness in there. Yeah, well, I really liked that stuff because I needed a break at various times from the intense emotional work, too. No one can take that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's been called speed suffering, you know. I thought that was a very oh, good, good wow. phrase for those, you know, who want to get it over, get do a lot of it in a short time. That's cool, <laughs> like speed, speed dating. Speed, That's speed funny. Suffering. Yeah, I would, I would agree. <laughs> Does that expression of emotional pain and turmoil ever end? I mean, is there ever a point at which we're empty and we don't need to express that stuff anymore? No, but what I would say is what we're getting rid of is the historical buildup. So we'll always have occasions to feel sadness. We may have occasions when somebody, you know, does something wrong to us where we feel rightfully indignant. But what we're saying is we need to express the volcanic charge the the volcano that's been building up for years and years which is like say i want to speak out here or i not being heard or whatever it is you know the voice that's the six-year-old luke or the four-year-old tim and that's what's coming out of course we're always going to have feelings but you think you can actually get to the bottom of that that well of that vault of pain from the past, that it can be expressed to the point where it's dissipated and essentially gone. I, I certainly felt that. I certainly felt that whatever it was, that I didn't have much access to my feeling and I had a very powerful experience of letting go. I'd done quite a bit of the sort of the anger work. What I needed to do was the softer work. And somehow the amount of time that I could express that, and there were a lot of tears for me there, it got out so much that, for instance, you know, I had a, a, a terrible happening. My brother committed suicide a few years later. If I hadn't done the whole process, I wouldn't have been able even to get there. I was so frightened of of emotion that I wasn't able to. And I was there, and I was and I was crying, and I was upset because I could touch in without having the feeling that it would go on and on and on and on and on. So it's a subtle thing, and I can't give you know, a, a a finite answer, but it allows people, I think, to be more appropriate with that. With their feelings i would agree i would agree i think having personally had the experience of facing really intense uncomfortable feelings facing pain sadness trauma and then living to tell the tale mm. <laughs> you know it's like you get on the other side of it and you're like that actually wasn't that bad once it subsides and this mm. is a process that I'm actually trying to integrate into my life more and more rather than repressing and suppressing negative emotions, yeah. whether it be fear or pain or a loss of an attachment or lost love or whatever it is, mm -hmm. to actually just go into it and allow it to kind of wash over me and be expressed in the moment rather than running and hiding from it and having it come out in some seemingly unrelated, mm -hmm. unhealthy way that damages my you know, current relationships or work or whatever it is that I'm trying to do. So I think you're right in that there's like this boogeyman of 
feelings that I can't go that yeah, yeah that I've yeah, run yeah, for yeah, I mean really yeah. I spent the first half of my life doing everything I can I mean so many self-destructive mm. behaviors just to keep from mm. feeling anything and then you go through things like the Hoffman process and you sort of let that you know genie out of the bottle and it's like it actually wasn't that big of a deal mm. <laughs> you know it's like still it's intense but it isn't yeah. gonna kill me uh. yeah it doesn't you know you live you live <laughs> yeah. like i said you live to tell yeah. the tale it's sort of like well that sucked i mean i'm not gonna mm. say it's fun to have that you know mm. express pain essentially but uh it doesn't kill you and then um i find that i'm able to just sort of build that in a more habitual way where I'm Mm. learning how to face uncomfortable feelings Mm. momentarily rather than having them build up to the point where they become so scary that I never want to deal with them. Right. So I'm, I'm fully on board with that. It's kind of uncomfortable way to live when one has spent their whole life running from that. But it's, it's so new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I I am getting used to it. And it's funny because I didn't make the correlation between Mm. the process where you're dealing with those emotions in, in such a focused way mm. that that would then make it easier to deal with them as they come up, you know, but Imagine as forward. a teacher how many times I've, I've heard somebody say, oh, I can't go there. It just, it, you know, once I open it, it will never, never stop. And having to find ways to persuade them to at least start the experience so they can go through it and find what's on the other side rather than, as you say, just, you know, being scared of the boogeyman of feelings and never going there. Yeah. Have you had people in the process that just absolutely flat out refuse to go there and just won't do the work and won't face things? You know, of the thousands of people who've done it, because I've, as I said, done it for nearly, nearly 30 years, I've sometimes seen somebody manage not to cry, but it's incredibly difficult, you know, and that they may have said, you know, I was crying for the three months up to now, whatever, their tear ducts and um, because we talked about you know, the barriers to entry being quite high, most people are very willing. They really want to go there. And we have our ways. You know, there are methods yeah, that we yeah. have of softening people up. It's been called you know, like a rite of passage for the smart ass. People say, how do you manage to get people who are so cynical or so in their heads feeling? And I say, well, you know, it's a bunch of people have been thinking about this for it's 50 years now, 50 years this year. We've been putting together methods to... Um, I was going to say crack the nuts, soften up the people. (laughs) Is there not a process of entrainment when you're working with a group of people and you have the people that are more able to access their emotions? Do you think that that creates an energy field, so to speak, where it opens the floodgates for someone who's more resistant? For sure. So, And that is one of the joys of working in a group somebody who wouldn't have the courage to go there, here's so-and-so, you know, opposite them or next door to them, opening up. It may be opening up about their personal story. It may be opening up using their voice. It may be opening up with their heart and having tears. But yeah, it gives enormous permission. Oh, this is okay. Oh, so you who I was talking to at dinner, who, you know, had this interesting story, you can do that. What? Well, then I'm going to allow myself to go there. Yeah, I found that to be true. I think also... I don't know, there's a certain amount of shame and embarrassment in emoting and like crying or yelling or doing like deep emotional work. I mean, it's, I think for me, my ego is like, oh, you're going to look stupid. People are going to laugh at you. You look like a wuss. You look like an idiot. You're going to have snot all over you. You know, whatever it is, it's like 
very much being afraid of what people think. But when in a group setting where everyone's kind of going, I don't know, it's sort of... It, I find it quite relaxing. Oh, you mean I don't have to keep my image together? Oh, yeah. you mean, you know, I can do all that? Yeah, it's like, oh, it was so much effort to keep the, the It sort the of jars out. everything, yeah. it jars everything loose, I think, yeah. you know, yeah. in, in my experience. It's sort of like, oh, God, you almost can't not just mm. participate in that. And uh, And I guess that also is... Part of the thing I was saying is the results that I'm sort of unpacking these short few months later is that ability to just kind of not care anymore and just allow myself to right. be be right. my sloppy, imperfect self out in the world and on the show and everything like that. But The you know. human being that is Luke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, the last thing I want to cover in terms of the process, which is I think for me kind of the whole goal is uh-huh learning how to operate in the world from my spiritual self or my higher self, like that true being that I am beyond the ego and the intellect and the personality and my trauma and my past and my family and patterns and all that crap, but just the true unadulterated spiritual being that I am. Mm -hmm. Would you say that's the goal of the process? And what are some ways in which we can learn how to make decisions and perform from that perspective rather than the others you you put it very aptly some people you know who don't want so much of a you know a unpsychological or unscientific basis would i would say to them the goal of it is to feed yourself as a loving being if we take it you know as your model as being spiritual what we'd say is you need to build a relationship with that part of you so you need to every day find a time to have more quietness find a time where you've turned off your devices find a time where you do stuff that is nourishing to yourself find a time to listen. So the goal of it is yeah, to take what you learn in the process and build on that. How do I want my life to be? And rather than rushing into life and making ourselves busy, because it's never been easier to be to, to be a long distance from ourselves, going through life slower and building on that self-love, which then can be passed out to others, by having a relationship, by making time and space with that more silent part of ourselves what effect has being a facilitator for all these years had on you <laughs> i was thinking because I, I saw my sons recently they're now they're now um 20 and 20 21 and i remember when they came along in the world we thought oh my god already we've heard every story about how miserable <laughs> how horrible childhood could be how hard is it going to be and the main effect for me was that it's quite easy to be a parent you just need to be present and loving, and that's the main that's the main thing. So that was a huge effect. But I would say back when I first took it, the effect was of growing up. It's like I had been the rebellious teenager up into my 30s, and it was a little tiring by then. So it allowed me to relax. And, oh, you mean I don't have to fight against everybody or feel threatened by them? So it's like you were talking about a relaxation. The big difference to me was... Um, if I'm this way, if I can accept myself, all the other things like depression go away or trying to impress people. As somebody said before I did the process, they said, um, Tim, you don't have to know everything for us to love you still. <laughs> so it's relaxing. Yeah, <laughs> That's it's okay. Funny. That's funny. Because you were more of the intellectual, I was always the one with a book in my mind, always spouting some fact. Or, right. Yeah. What are some of the practices that you personally use now when you're presented with a challenge in life where anxiety or emotional pain might come up 
A very good question, because I wonder sort of, you know, around what's conscious and what's unconscious. So the conscious one is, I know it's okay to feel, and the conscious one is keep breathing through it, because especially the anxiety can, you know, shorten the breathing, narrow the chest. Um, but in order to get some distance, sometimes I will need just to take back a, a step, and I will sit with it, or write with it, or walk with it. And I do, you know, there are a whole lot of tools before I would have um, retained it in my body, and now I'll go out and do something, I'll walk with it. Faced with a really challenging situation, I would have a battery of tools, I think. I would have a, a small toolbox with me to try. One of them may, might just be writing something down, or or meeting meeting somebody, talking to somebody about it, rather than just thinking, here we go again, I've got to figure it out, I've just got to, just got to control it. The main thing though, I guess, and I kind of feel it a bit in your face and your aura, is I got from the, my week in Hoffman and then by being involved more as a, a facilitator, a huge shift in self-image. And that was not from a book, that was not from a group experience, it was just something came inside and shattered an old image and life was very much easier after that. And luckily with my work as a facilitator, I'm reminded of that a lot. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So as we come to the end of this conversation, I'd like to ask you a three-part question. Who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life and your work? Could be a book, philosophy, person, anything. Mm. Three. Yes, three. Three over the, over the years. Okay, so... For some people, it's hard to limit it to three. For some people, they can only come up with one. Okay, well, the <laughs> first one comes to mind. So I'm 22. I finished my first degree in England and I go to India. Um, and there was a teacher there called Manindra, Manindraji, who was in the Burmese tradition of Vipassana. Now mindfulness is like the new black. Interesting, yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, he was there, he taught at the Burmese Vihara, and I would just sit, sit I with wonder, him. I just interviewed Sharon Salzberg, and she learned uh, to meditate in India in the Buddhist tradition from Burmese teachers. It was interesting. It would, she would definitely have come across, come across him, because I think she was in that, I think it was called the forest Thai tradition and as well as the Burmese tradition. But anyway, that, yeah. that was huge because that has, you know, reminded me all the second one would definitely be be Bob Bob Hoffman. Um the third, I think it is hard to limit because I love to read a lot and there are always always people who are giving me new ideas. So how can I limit it? One of the things that has helped me with psychology and with spirituality, funnily enough, is to read a lot about history and to read a fair bit and to understand a bit about primatology so that there are certain things we can change and there are certain things that are so deep in human and I'm reminded of that. And one of the best books I've written, which is a, uh, written, sorry, that's a slip um, I've read, um, came out just a couple of years ago called Sapiens and his name, Yuval Noah Hariri, Harari, I think, goes through the whole cycle of life and think after that, okay, that explains why people have such a hard time with revenge. Or that explains why there's been an empire of this or that. If you know that, we're always dealing with that. What we've got now is actually a, a fantastic new different society despite reading the news every day. Cool. Thanks for the tip yeah. on that. That's great information. Yeah, I find it interesting too to to go back and sort of look at the collective uh the collective 
habit mind mm. of humanity as we as we've evolved and you can sort of see how the the instincts and the ego perpetuate in the same on ways on on over on. time yeah. you know yeah. i find that interesting yeah. too so in closing where can we find you your book i know you have written a book about the hoffman process uh where are your website social media any of that that you'd like to promote well, hoffmaninstitute.org for all the information about the the process and how it's come about um the book is called The Hoffman Process, quite easy by me. Uh, I guess it's on Amazon. I don't don't see it in every... It is. Not that there are many um, bookstores around anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the, web, the website. And it's across the world. It's in a bunch of different countries. So, you know, if you go on hoffman-international.com, you'll see where it is if you are... Russian or French or Italian or Brazilian or whatever. Oh, that's amazing. That's crazy. Think about the ripple effect that this movement yeah. or this process mm. is having in the world. And now, to an even greater degree, because a few thousand people are going to hear this interview. Excellent. So thank you so much, man. It's great to see you. Thanks for joining me on the show, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. We'll be seeing you this time. Cheers. Okay, you guys, we made it. We're at the end of another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. So do you want to jump in therapy or jump in the Hoffman process right about now? <laughs> you know, you're ready to uh, assess your psychological and mental health. Listen, man, I love talking about this stuff because out of all of the biohacking and all of the spirituality and everything that I've explored, doing intensive retreats like this has really, really been helpful. So I encourage you to get out and check out either the Hoffman process or something like that, you know, where you can be sequestered away and really dive deep into the past, man, because all, all those imprints we get from our childhood, and especially if we've experienced some trauma, abuse, or neglect, it can really affect us throughout our lives. And this is something that I'm always just digging deeper down to discover, you know, how my past affected me and how I can actually become a better and better and uh, more woke person day by day. But really just, you know, I have a desire for mental health. And so when I talk to someone that really knows the field, it's exciting for me to share that because I know based on uh, you listeners and the message I get from your emails and whatnot that a lot of people really struggle with, uh, with just mental health issues and all this kind of stuff. So thank you so much, so, so much for listening. Now, I want to remind you to come hang out at the Longevity Now conference with me in Anaheim, April 6th through 8th. Now, as I said earlier, you can win tickets for free. And these tickets are $297 early bird and $497 regular price. So if you win a pair of tickets, basically you're getting $1,000 worth of tickets. And I've got three pairs to give away. So you can come see David Wolf. Danielle Laporte, Nadine Artemis, Dr. William Davis, John Gray, Jim Quick, and you can hang out with me while I'm doing live stream podcasting on the spot. So I'm the official podcaster. I'm going to be there rocking. I think I've gone for the past eight or 10 years or something. I mean, I've been going to this thing forever. It's just kind of built into the life. So if you want to get tickets, here's what you do. Get out your phone, get ready to send a text message right now. The number you're going to text is 44222. In the body of the text, you're going to write this word, all one word, all lowercase, longevity now. So text the word longevity now to the number 44222, enter your name and email, boom, you might win a pair of tickets to this dope event. If you don't want to do it on your phone, super easy to enter. Just go to bit.ly forward slash longevity loop. Now that's a little tricky. It's bit.ly forward slash longevity loop. 
If you want to just straight up buy tickets to the event, you don't want to mess around and see if you win, then you can go to lukestory.com forward slash events and you'll see the Longevity Now link there where you can purchase uh, tickets for $2.97 up until a certain point. I forget the date. And then they jack them up to $4.97. So enter my contest to win or buy the ticket if you can be in Anaheim during those dates. This is a super, super fun and just lively event. Just about everyone I've had on my show is either a vendor or a speaker there. So if you like the content you're getting here, you're going to love to get to hang out with all those you know beautiful people there in Anaheim. All right. So text the word longevity now to the number 44222. And if you win, we are going to party on. Take care. See you next week with Marcus and Tebby, the Juice King of New York. <laughs>